Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's to our local independent businesses. For the last few months, they have been adapting and surviving, finding new ways to serve our communities. At Bank of Ireland, we're doing our bit. And because your financial well-being is our priority, our dedicated business teams can help you take the next step. So we can all keep tapping, clicking and collecting. And one day, getting back to what we all do best. We can, we will, begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Hi, my name's Grace Campbell. I'm a comedian and feminist campaigner, and ever since podcasts started, I've been telling my dad he should do one. Dad, say hello. Hello. I am Alistair Campbell. I am also a campaigner, and I fear I inspire a lot of Grace's comedy. And what's our podcast, Dad? Our podcast is called Football, Feminism and Everything in Between. Because? Because football is my passion. Feminism is your passion and we are going to be talking to interesting people about those two things and everything in between. Like Brexit. No, Dad, there is more to life than Brexit. This week's guest on football, feminism and everything in between is probably best known for her math skills because she became well known in the country as the maths wizard on Countdown. She's also a massive football fan, Manchester United, and she's become something of a political figure as well because she's become central to the whole debate about anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. So we are thrilled, are we not, Grace, this we are week thrilled. to have as our guest, our guest, Rachel, Rachel Riley. Riley. Rachel. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much of a feminist would you say you are? I think you have to be 10. Um, and Correct. I think that's all that is, is you, you want equality for women and men. That's all feminism is. And if you're anything less than 10, then why? Okay. And on a scale of 1 to 10, Rachel, how much of a football fan would you say you are? <laughs> well, this is harder um, because I've got it from my dad. And my dad, I wouldn't even call him a football fan. I'd say he's a Man United fan. So on the scale of Man United fan, I'm, I'm off the scale. Mm-hmm. Um, football in general, I'd say maybe seven. It's my sport, oh, but, okay. but, but Man United is So nothing. feminism, symbol for greater than football. That's, that feminism is an easy one. It's just, you know, my beliefs and it's part of my core. Um, but football, I mean, I don't watch every single game that every single team plays in every single league in every country around the world like some people do. So I wouldn't claim to be a 10. 
but it's fun and it's a definite it's my release and my relief from the world at the moment <laughs> um, and, and and united i thought man united fans didn't like calling them man united or is it man you you don't oh know. i don't care what what people right. say about what people you say. knew that you knew that didn't <laughs> what, you, what, what was your first football match do you remember your um, first football well there match? was the first season i went i went to two games i don't remember which one's first i could just google it but i haven't um i went to see ipswich away and um oldham at wembley for the semi-final of the fa cup so it was 1994 so i was eight years old and um my parents took me and my brother along and my dad used to my, my dad's family's from salford so we used to go up to salford see my grandma and everyone you know a few times a year and it was just impossible to get tickets so we, right, we did and a few times grace yeah. knows this that I, I i believe you measure football fandom by how many games you go to now <laughs> how many games have you been to this season that's not really fair though because what about people who can't afford to go to the rachel's not games? poor i know but you can't say that everyone measures how much okay but i'm asking right so many silly well. rules in football but um <laughs> i mean i can't remember how many i've been to this season it's it's in the teens okay at least okay um I've, yeah, I mean, the last few games, I went to both Barcelona games, I went I to the City that. game. Do you still go with your dad? Um, he's <laughs> My dad's got his season ticket on one side, and I go wherever I can sneak in, basically. Um, so I'll go in a broom cupboard if I have to, but I'm really lucky that I do some work for the club, and I'm friends with the club now, so they, yeah. they let me sneak in in the posh bit. But... And on a scale of 1 to 10, how, how much do you admire what Burnley have achieved as, a, as one of the great football players? <laughs> you in, know what? My cousin James, um, he's a big Burnley fan, so over the years, I'm Good always subjected to Burnley's, you know, how well you're doing. And I remember <laughs> it's the first game of the season, probably, I don't know, over 10 years, oh, maybe, when we got maybe 13 you years ago, you beat us 1-0. Yeah, and Blake, my dad and I sat in a room in Italy with our friends on holiday and watched that disaster. Okay. So well, well done, Burnley. I was there. As a <laughs> what, just trying to try and persuade Grace about why football is such a great thing to love. Um, I mean, I, 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 I used to, I mean, it was the way I interacted with my dad. Um, so my dad's been going to Old Trafford since 1960. So he was nine years old, I think, when he first started going there. And um, I'm looking back at my old baby photos now, and he got me a Ted the Red and this weird like mouse thing with an embroidered Man United in it. And it, they were in the cot. And as he was taking photos of me as a baby, this like bear is placed in all of them. So I tried all that. <laughs> and it worked. Yeah, but also I do think, so you have a brother. Did you say that? Yeah, I've got a brother. Because I kind of think that for me, it was like my, I've got two older brothers and they'd already been converted to football. Okay. By the time I came along, which was a few years later, I kind of felt you'd already decided this football thing together. <laughs> I didn't feel that included in it. I didn't quite. I tried though, tried to take it to games. Yeah, for sure, but I didn't feel it was like my thing. Let me and, ask Rachel. Well, I got more into it when I started playing as well. Right. So, I mean, I played at school just because I think the girls were off, I don't know, doing like drama and pretending they were having a tea party. And the boys every lunchtime were running around and playing football. And I just like running around playing football. Um, so I used to go to the soccer schools as well. So my brother would go along and I'd go along. Um, and then at uni, I started playing in a team and I loved it. And the more you play, the more you see how talented the real footballers <laughs> yeah, are. <laughs> but listen, here's one, here's one for you, Rachel. You're a big Manchester United fan. Has David Beckham ever tousled your hair? Uh, no, he hasn't. He's because, tousled your hair. No, he hasn't tousled oh, my right. hair. He has tousled Grace's hair. Oh, and she's still got, not a football no, fan. No, but you know you what? Got hair. So my first words were Gary Neville. Because Gary Neddle. I, Gary Neddle, yeah. Because <laughs> I was born in 1994, so into the like boom of Man United. And I was actually a Man U fan because my older brother Rory is, a, well, he used to be a massive Man U fan. So I just copied him. <laughs> and so I used to be kind of obsessed with the ones who were like cute and hot. Uh -huh. And so I just fancied David Beckham loads. And then once he touched my hair... And then I didn't wash 
my hair for a whole summer. We took it. We took it. We took, we took them to the planet Wimbledon, and he just sort of came out. And Sam yeah. Haman was the chairman. I don't know why, but he saw me and he invited us down to the dressing rooms and. <laughs> And, and it's, it's quite. I think even Fio, so even Fiona Grace's mum, who's really, yeah. really, really not into football, she did say there was something a bit impressive about seeing the teams <laughs> line up in the tunnel. There is. I mean, it's, it's gladiatorial, whatever the word is, yeah. around that. And especially, you know, you know, the music and 70-odd thousand fans cheering them on. And especially in those days, because, I mean, I, you know, like I said, I, in 1994, I was eight years old. So I'd watch these players come through as kids. Giggsy made the first team when I was five. Um, and to watch them... That's Ryan Giggs. Ryan Giggs. Yeah, yeah, I knew that. I, knew that. <laughs> um, I watched them, you know, I watched them grow up and they were they were my heroes. They were proper Reds. They were local lads. I mean, it, Beck He's not a local lad, but he's Man United through and through since he was a kid. So, you know, it was that journey. It was it's kind of a soap opera um, away from the soap operas. Do you have that attachment to any of the United players now? Because I feel like that was such a particular time for Man United. I don't. Not the same way. No, it's never going to be the same because um, I mean, now I'm older than most, yeah. <laughs> which is just strange. And you, you know, you you tend to just look up to people that are older than you and idolise them and and watch them age, etc. And and you know, go on to achieve stuff. So it is different now. I mean, I've got a lot of respect for them, and I love. I mean, our Spaniards are my favourite players at the moment. Matter like Mata, Herrera, David de Gea. Um, I think he's Matt's, having a very rough ride. Though, the he? last few games haven't been great for anyone, really. No. But if we had a better team outfield, you wouldn't notice it as much. Um, and that's the point. If you're a goalkeeper, you notice the mistakes a lot more. But. Do you think they made a mistake in going for Oli Gunnar Solskjaer? No. Really? I love Oli. Yeah, you can love him, but is he the right manager? Well, I think we've gone for experience. We've gone for British who you might have longevity with, with David Moyes. With, you know, Van Hal and Joe say had won everything in the game and they didn't work out. So, yeah. What do you think of Van Hal, Gate, Chris? Sure, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. Well, people liked him as a person. He was very amiable um, and he brought some good things to the club. Like he, he kind of... Very the, Dutch. But the, the 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 style of football was was awful. Yeah, it was really bad. I remember being younger when my dad was trying to attempt to convert me to football. Being in football stadiums in such a like hyper masculine sort of laddie environment, I I always did feel a bit threatened as like a young sort of early teenage girl. Did you have that experience, or because of like playing football, we sort of better at yeah, blocking it out? I just I never had that, and I used to go to games by myself as a teenager. Wow. Um, and uni, and you know, I think it was. It's funny hearing it from a younger person because often older people who like remember the seventies and the eighties and the football hooliganism are like, "You're going to the game by yourself." Yeah, I would have thought that. Um, but I never had that because I, I mean, especially when you go mostly to home games, which was what I was mm. going to. You've got seventy or thousand of people who are basically your family. Um, I mean, I've I've only seen a little bit of trouble since being an adult. Um, but I've never. You never had any kind of because I mean I can remember some stuff at football matches with women, like you say, back in the seventies and eighties. It was hor- really horrible. Yeah, but like, I've, if, I was if, there, I can, so. I'll, I'll never forget once a female steward. I can't remember where we were playing. It was an away game, and this female steward walked in in front of the, and she was large, right? She was mm. really, really large, and this the song that went up amongst the Burnley fans was really, really, yeah, really, and really that- horrible. And I mean, Burley fans are rough. They're funny. Just, they're no, they're rough. And that was actually when I remember saying, this is not for me, was when I was at a Burley match and there were loads of fans were being super racist no about, another, about a player. This is the other thing I was going to ask. Do you ever sort of like look at them and think, oh, you're so hot? <laughs> 
Um, you say that for Strictly Partners. <laughs> yeah, my Pasha. My Pasha is the most handsome in the world. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I kind of disassociate that side of it because they're just my footballing heroes and they're Man United and... It just would be just, it's just yeah, wrong. Yeah, well, that's it? how you, I think, shows you're a proper football fan. Because when I watch a match, I'm just looking at their bum. <laughs> <laughs> I had no, to try no, that no. game. I had to play that game once because my first boyfriend was a scouse. Well, he's a Liverpool fan. And we went to watch Man United Liverpool. Um, and we were in the Liverpool end. And Man United were warming up in front of us. So I went down with my phone like to get closer. And the <laughs> steward was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm just looking at the legs. You know, Ronaldo's there. Like, oh, I'm oh, just a girl. Yeah, the grey <laughs> What about, sorry, what about if I say, if I'm watching a women's football match yeah. and I say to Grace, she's got a really nice arse, that girl on the telly, you're not going to be happy. I know. So why are there double standards well, on the objectification I issue? I'm just saying I you use that you said it. Her. I'm just you saying. said it. <laughs> I know. I don't know what to say about that. I feel like it's sort of, I deserve it from being a woman living in quite a terrible patriarchal society, oh. being uh, catcalled since I was 14 years old. Old, being grown you never had that football. Cat called? Yeah. No. Oh, what? When I'm playing or what? No. At a, match. at a game. Bum pinched. No. Never. No. Wow. No. I've had it in a like club in South End, and he's he's had a smack. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest ever game that I went to. Yeah. Oh god, I can't even. Remember. Um, I, I think I, I saw us win two or three one against Liverpool, um, where Rooney missed a penalty, and then we. He went in and I think he maybe followed it up or something. Okay. Um, but, but winning against Liverpool is always amazing. And, and greatest player ever? Um, if I could watch someone again, I'd watch Ronaldo again if I'd have him back. Um, yeah, he, having him in the team, he would just lift you and he yeah. could make something out of anything. And he's yeah. just, you know, one of the best players in the world, isn't he? So why do you go into feminism then? We've done football. Yeah, we've done football. Yeah, okay. Well, I think that's a really good way to go on from, you know, talking about objectifying men um, and then going on to, I guess, your experiences as a woman in the entertainment industry. Also, you started young, um, you know, working on Countdown. Um, you were 26, is that right? 22 when I got 22, my job. Wow. Yeah, 23. And, and have you found in that, because like, obviously football's a very male-dominated world, um, entertainment is a very most worlds are very male dominated entertainment's very male dominated did you ever feel like when you were a young woman in those environments that you I guess were in a way quite vulnerable or you didn't have as much power as you'd hoped I never felt like that um grow like originally I think I was quite lucky in that I was quite um, naive in a way or didn't I just wasn't witness to it which I think did me a massive favor I went to an all-girls grammar school um, and my friends around me, they're just brilliant. They're still my best friends now. And we had, at the time, we had a power lesbian headmistress who just indoctrinated us into feminism, feminism, feminism. But we didn't mention the word feminism, but just, you know, promoted women. And it wasn't even men and women were different. It wasn't even on our, our, our gender, our radar. Any of that didn't even filter into my peripheral vision, which I think... It did do me a massive favour and it wasn't until I got to uni and met some boys from, you know, all different walks of life, but especially the public school boys who did have a different attitude towards women and you could really see it. And Which I, is what? 
just um, just a bit patronising, a bit mm. condescending, a bit. I don't know whether it's you know, if I'm, I'm a woman. I'm from Essex. I'd wear a Man United shirt around college, um, but you just get you know, you just feel a little bit looked down upon yeah. by certain people, not by everyone, because I've you know I've got friends from all walks of life as well. Um, but that was the first time I was aware that people don't see each other equally. And did you growing up though with you, you, your mum and dad? Did you did you feel that they were? Kind of on the. Did, did, did you feel they believed that men and women were equal? Yeah, I mean, again, it wasn't re- it wasn't referenced. So my parents aren't political. They're not. Um, they, they, I think they just have the right, mostly the right opinions and the right beliefs, and just they're just part of them. So they don't need to force them on anyone. They don't. And what did the, what did you, 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 the head teacher, the, le- the lesbian headmistress? What, yeah. what, what was it that she sort of emanated? Um, it was just always that girls can do anything they want. And it wasn't in reference to girls doing different to boys. It was just you lot. You can go out and you can achieve whatever you want. You can get mm. whatever job you want. You can get whatever grades you want. You can do whatever sport, whatever activities. Provided you work. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that's yeah. what it was like. I went to an all-girls school as well, but it was interesting because there was a boys' school next door. And in year 10, which is when you're like 15, we then started socialising with the boys. And you sort of saw, you saw how like the girls' attitudes to work change once they were like hanging out with boys because mm. then you're taught to think you have to like impress the boys. And to do that, you like shouldn't be clever because you don't want oh, to be that, clever than used them. used to drive me nuts. I know. The few girls that would pretend to be stupid because they thought it was funny. Yeah. That's my least favourite thing. It's the worst. Where, where did the, the kind of maths thing come from? Um, I was always kind of good at maths, even from when I was little. I used to get um, extra work at school and in primary school. Um, and one teacher put me in a... Because I think there were 21 in the class, so we all sat in twos, and he put me on the, the one by the window because he said I could afford to look out the window because <laughs> it didn't really make any difference. And what about... And, and, it was, and it was your mum who put you in the countdown? Um, yeah, my mum, my aunt, and my ex's mum, all the mums, um, they heard the advert on the radio, I think it was, and oh. um, and my mum was trying to find the application form and she couldn't find it, so she rang up Channel 4 and said, um, I'm looking for the application for my daughter. Where could you find the power of women, I love yeah, that. it is, and I never thought there was a job at the end of it, um, but my mum's quite enthusiastic and I go get her and she's always doing bonkers things for charity <laughs> or whatever. Um, I mean, honestly, she dress, she's dressed up like a horse and goes down South End High Street fundraising for horse charities. So what was the interview like? So you get you, you do the application, then you get an interview and you go up to... Who does the interview? Yeah, um, I went to um, Embankment ITV Studios. I didn't hit, expect to hear back. I think they had 3,000 applications. They wow. invited 100 of us to interview. Um, and uh, I'm bad too. But um, I had the day off work because it was going to be Yom Kippur and then, um, I, and then the producer said can you come in on this date and I was like yeah sure <laughs> no problem um so rocked up and um they gave me a bunch of countdown questions it was like you know 15 minutes chat to see your personality and then they had this like Walkman CD player where they'd press the music and stare at you while you did countdown <laughs> games which is the most off-putting thing in the world yeah and after a couple of goes of this like CD player um, it broke. So then it was Damien and Peter, our two producers. And t- so Peter would, as I was trying to work out sums, go 15, 20, 20, <laughs> which is the almost off-putting thing when you're trying to do maths and someone's shouting numbers at you. Um, obviously, it went all right because they invited yeah. me. I was one of six to go up to the studios in Leeds and they gave us a proper screen test and I was nervous as anything. But um, I guess my brain worked and, yeah. you know, you can't control that. And do you want to do it as long as the others did it? 
I'd it. love to. I mean, I love it there. I get to do other things as well. Um, but it's, I mean, I've, I've watched the show since I was a kid. Me and my little brother used to play against each other after school. What is the main demographic of the Countdown viewership? Well, it's on earlier now. Um, so it was traditionally students and retirees. Yeah. And now it's on about 10 past two in the afternoon. So it's retirees. And we also get a lot of... Um, like ladies on maternity leave that used to watch it with their parents or their grandparents who now watch it with their babies and then the babies learn their letters and their numbers from countdown so it's quite cyclical it's really cute and and uh, do more men apply to do countdown than women is that true yeah yeah and and do you find in that world that men are a lot more ambitious than women i think my theory is um it's just it's all psychology and it's it's all interlinked with why women aren't in the top jobs and why there aren't more women doing science and engineering um and you see it when I go back to my my old school and when I do things you know trying to encourage girls to do STEM but we don't like getting things wrong as much as boys so we like to make sure we've got the answer before we put our hand up whereas I'm stereotyping of course but boys are a lot happy just put the hand up get it wrong put the hand up again get it wrong put the hand up true yeah. yeah, I've got this theory, right? In swimming, because I swim in swimming pools. That um, so in the me- in the medium lane, you'll always find women who are too fast to be in the medium lane. They should be in the fast lane. Yeah, and you'll always find men yeah, 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 who are yeah. too slow to be in the fast lane. And who should be in the medium so the, lane? The, and the best anecdote I've got to kind of try and change it. Dr. Linda Papadopoulos, um, the psychologist, she comes on Countdown. I love her. And she was commissioned by a large company, someone at IBM, to see why there were so few women in top level management where there were loads in middle management. So she interviewed loads of people and she found out that when a woman sees a job application form, if she doesn't tick 100% of the boxes, she doesn't go for the job. But when men see them, it can be like 50-60% of the criteria. So men are kind of overselling themselves and women are underselling themselves. And even things like language on job applications. So if you say, you know, I want you to manage a team, a man's more likely to go for the role. If you say, I want you to develop and nurture a team, a woman's more likely to go for a role with the same jobs. So it's just the way we perceive ourselves. And I think as well... You Do you know, think you are, are you... Are you an underseller of yourself? Um, I, I mean, think, you kind of I think at Oxford. Now. I think at Oxford, you learn a little bit. You learn very quickly that these boys are selling themselves much harder. Like even in interviews, this guy was like, "I did amazingly. That was so easy." And I came out of the interviews thinking, oh, "I should just go home." And that taught me really quickly, like this isn't right because I did better than him all the way through uni. Right. Um, so I think you know you have to be a little bit more bolshy or boastful than you. But do you think, would it's, want a, to do you think it's a male female thing or a private school state? I think thing? from I think from from kids, girls are trained to be modest and not to be boastful and are trained to be. No, it's true because you always, you know, even the best example is that you always tell me off for talking loudly, and I and laughing loudly. Yeah, and I basically translate that into not thinking that women should be loud. You know, the idea that... No, no, let me speak, let me speak. The idea that, like, women can't speak loudly, I think, comes from a fear of loud, powerful, confident, bossy women. You know what, last... I think it was last year, words of the year, I heard the word heat-eated for the first time. And I kind of hate those kind of words. But as soon as I heard there was a word for it, it happens to other people. What does it mean? It's called heat-eated. It's when a woman says something and she gets ignored. And when a man repeats exactly the same thing and they get... It's like... Wow! Yeah, yeah. Wow, you're amazing. Classic. He peated. Honestly. He peated. Is that no, a great no, Can I just defend myself? No, I'm not. It's not. In it's front not of my you. Daughter, it's not men against women. How many times do I complain about other people, say on trains, and who, I just don't like? No, I do think that my confidence jars you. But, but I, really I don't do think, think it's men 
putting on women. I think it's oh, men and women. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not trying to start a beef. You know that. But what I'm saying is I do think in society, like I remember countless times being told at school that I'm too bossy and I'm too loud and I, I shout at people too yeah. much. And those are characteristics that like, you know, people have, not necessarily men, but we, men we're really conditioned call, get to think. Bossy. Exactly. And we're conditioned that. to think that like... They get called control freaks. Possibly, but I think it, to a larger... They get called domineering... Dominating. I think That's you mean domineering really women. Being, I think you get more domineering women. Yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe. But no, I don't. I, just, I don't think it's men doing it to women. I think it's like I think yeah, we're, just, we're, we're all doing it. Yeah. And even like um, I've got a great friend Natasha Devon. In her book, she was talking about um, they gave, they had an experiment. I love experiments. I love you know empirical data. You don't have to believe it, but it's just interesting. And they had a bunch of babies in blue and pink baby grows. And they had a bunch of slopes at different gradients. And they asked the adults to put the babies on the slope that they thought they could manage. And the adults put the babies in the blue in the blue costumes on a slope too steep for it. And the babies in the pink costumes on a slope too, too shallow. And obviously for the experiment, they'd switch the babies round. So the boys were... So they'd done it the wrong way around because yeah. we as adults think boys can do something and girls can, mm. can't. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just ingrained and it's not... I don't blame anyone for it, but I think we need to recognise it so yeah. that we can see ourselves, you know, subconsciously so doing where, stuff where, to babies. Never mind the subconscious. Where have you ever felt yourself being the victim of sexism? Um, we'll come on to otherism in a moment. Um, I did leave a job because I felt <laughs> I was being treated differently as a woman. Um, what was the job? <laughs> you can tell it was me, a TV Rachel. job. It was a ah, TV job. Which channel? <laughs> I don't want to go. Did you have to sign an NDA? I didn't have to sign an NDA, no. but but you don't want to fall um, out. I mean, it, it was it was more it was a couple of the backroom people rather than the presenters who I you know most of the people there I loved. But and was um, it a money thing or a... no? It was um, it was when I started. I was kind of green and learning and would listen to everybody. And then I learnt, and then I realised I didn't want myself portrayed in a certain way. Uh, or put, having words put in my mouth or treated a certain way where I could see it being different with other presenters. And that was me being difficult. Exactly. And That's that exact thing of... And I broke know. with my feet. I didn't need the aggro. I didn't need it. Right. Yeah, and I think as well, like, what we need is exactly what you're saying, is more women having the confidence to say, no, I'm not... Or recognising it. Yeah, and, Just... and standing up for what they feel yeah. is wrong if they, if they feel that they're being controlled or mistreated. Often you can't, you haven't got the direct comparison to see how mm. your male counterpart will be treated because you, and you've only got yourself as like the one example. So you've got... Yeah, and it's so nuanced. I think sometimes it's really hard to articulate sexism because it's mm-hmm. so subtle. Yeah, yeah, but I don't want, I, I want to actually ask one thing of, um, have you found on countdown that you've sort of like by like tabloid media been sort of objectified because like, i've heard you talk about the fact that you you know sometimes have been reduced to like what you're wearing always what you look always, like. always does that frustrate you i mean it's it's just something that you you get used to really really quickly um and it's only it was interesting before anything that's been going on in the last year but this just the stuff i used to get with you know dresses and objectification and stuff i wouldn't notice it because it was so frequent but if someone so if i did something for stem and girls or or something businessy and or charity and someone normal got tagged in with me with the thing i was promoting which was a lovely thing they would be shocked and they would say oh my god i can't believe the stuff you get and i'd be like what have i got what which which bit yeah, yeah. and like because you just get used to it which is how it is. Do you um, get a clothes allowance? Yeah. Yeah. Generous? Yeah. Nice clothes? I, I think Buy so. Buy loads? 
<laughs> I think so. Well, can I ask about the otherism? Mm-hmm. The one that sort of has, has kind of defined you as uh, something other than a countdown presenter and a Manchester United fan, which is yeah. the, the issue of anti-Semitism. Which, and it's interesting, you mentioned the interview was on Yom Kippur. Now, if you were an observant <laughs> yeah. Jew, presumably you wouldn't know. have gone to that. No, I mean, even that's pretty bad for a rubbish Jew, yeah. like Yom Kippur. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm an atheist, so it was kind of... So how do you explain that you've you've sort of become this this thing within the anti-Semitism debate. I mean, mean, anti-Semitism has nothing to do with Jews. It's all to do with anti-Semites. It's all to do with racists. It's all to do with the isms are so interconnected. Um, I don't think a lot of them care or, you know, who they're discriminating against. They don't know who they're discriminating against. They're they're lumping a whole group of different, um, you know, ethnicities, religious beliefs, political beliefs, um, you know, people from different countries together as one homogenous group to discriminate against them and sod off if you think i'm gonna stand for that because that rep- but why you know, do you think it's why do you think it's fallen on you um well i i saw it happening and i saw the massive niche and i guess in my job i, I realized really quickly that people were interested in my opinion on you know even as soon as i got my job they wanted me like, to open an envelope and you know bubble from big brothers opened this can you come and do it next year I was like, why like, like that didn't interest me at all but i realized you know what my value was as a tv person and why charities want to get involved and why people want to use me or my brand it's because you know and 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 as a woman you wear a dress and you get in the papers it doesn't matter what you're doing seemingly but you, you shine a light on stuff and i saw that there wasn't a light being shone on this and not only was it not getting the attention it needed but it was being um, downplayed and uh, you know lied about and while it was spreading and you know uh, you don't have to be religious to understand you know the the holocaust and everything that went before that um for centuries um and you just I, you know you, i've been brought up knowing about the holocaust it happened in my my grandparents generation and you always think well what would i have done if i was there and if i'd have seen this and how can a whole continent of people have allowed this to happen um i never understood it and now i see things spreading and i don't know where they're going to lead but I, it's horrible. It's really horrible. And um, did you anticipate how much online abuse you were then going to face? I didn't anticipate any of this. Um, I mean, what was interesting to me was, I think I first mentioned it in September, and, and for years I could be, literally I could be in three different online papers in a day for wearing a dress, Rachel Flaunt's curves, Rachel whatever. And for, for when I first spoke out, I was I had a loads of interview requests and I wasn't ready to talk about it. I could see there was a problem, but I wasn't ready to put my case forward. Uh, and then for, for three, four months, it was growing and building and I was getting the most disgusting messages like Jews cut the dicks off babies and suck their blood and like all the stuff, all loads of little stuff that would normally have made the papers. Silence, absolute silence. And then I got stuck in the Gatwick drone gate. Um, thing when I was I was going to India with Pash for Christmas I did one tweet and I was asked to go on Good Morning Britain talk radio about that about, about that about being stopped. so though everyone was seeing my tweets seeing what was happening yeah. and silent um, why is that is that because it's a subject people are too scared to touch I have no idea but in January it broke in January I decided to use my 10 year anniversary on Countdown to go on Christian Green Murphy's podcast and you know, I I spent my whole Christmas reading, watching, learning, as I did for the you know 
gradually for a few months and just running the arguments through my head. I mean, my boyfriend is an absolute saint because I've been so distracted for the last how many months. But since January it broke and since January, the abuse and the level of everything has just gone. Is it all online, the abuse or do you get, do you get anything face to face? Um, I, I'm lucky I don't get it face to face, but it's, but people um, keep contacting my employer, telling them to get me arrested, telling them to fire me. Um, contacting anyone I've you know work with or work for, or, or now I'm involved with a um, stop finding fake news campaign, which is a fantastic way to try and stop the spread of online hate. I love it; it's brilliant. It feels like a, a like a, you know tangible way to make a difference. And they'll contact companies that you know through there, and just the smears and the lies. Is, how, it's awesome. How do you think that like Twitter and you know social media networks should be dealing with this? Because surely it must be so invasive for you when it's coming in in that sort of mass yeah I mean I I really I, don't, I just don't know I mean Facebook have a lot to answer for I'm, I'm not on Facebook with this but but that is where a lot of this spreads because they have you can people are allowed to make secret Facebook groups that are only visible to people who are in them who have been invited yeah. into them and then people are allowed to spread whatever lies and hate they want so a lot of these groups I mean you, you've, you've seen you know David Collier and anti-Semitism campaigner expose some of them um, that even Jeremy Corbyn have been part of himself and the the levels of neo-Nazi material that's being spread in these websites like you know they're, they're supposedly for Palestinians or they're supposedly for Jeremy Corbyn or for Labour and they are taking them unavailed onto far-right neo-Nazi American websites. And that's being allowed to happen because we can't see it. And that's being monetized by by Facebook and, and the websites that are writing these stories because these are the kind of stories that spread. These are the kind of stories that add clickbait value in ad revenue. And if people, you know, if people keep putting money ahead of you know stopping the spread of hate mm. i mean it's and you look at the you know it's the same the left and the right they've just got different people they hate at the moment but they could easily switch i mean at the moment the left hate jews and confuse everything with israel and they're going on on, on that some of, the, some of the, not all on the left no 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 i don't know not all the left how much of the how many of these people that abuse you do you is there any way of knowing how much of it is politically motivated how much of it is a corbyn thing or is it just a kind of is there just a kind of movement out there that sort of just alights upon this um, anti-Semitism Well, stuff? you can look on uh, on Twitter. It's easy because you can look on the profiles. Right. And the profiles are full of, I support Chris Williamson, Jeremy Corbyn is a saint, Red, Labour Red Rose, GTTO, which I thought was get the Tories out, which is get the traitors out, and JC oh, for PM. Like, it's really obvious. Yeah, I, think and I, I think I'm one of those T's. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are. I'm sure I've been told many a time. But, um, it's, but it's impossible to know how many... I mean, it, it seems like there's been an influx since yeah. Jeremy Corbyn's been a leader. So where, how many people are genuinely for Jeremy Corbyn or how many people are for the anti-Semitism cause sure. and are, are following that? I don't know. And your, what's your politics background? I mean, were you raised in a Labour family? Were you, are you basically Labour, basically Tory I'm in your life? basically a swing voter. Um, my parents have swung, um, you know, I, I mean, I I got called. Uh, I said I was told I, I hate disabled people and I'm Islamophobic and I hate black people because I said on your GQ. The GQ interview that I'd vote conservatives for anyone to stop Jeremy Corbyn getting in because we think he's such a danger. Um, but so have you voted Labour in the past? I don't want to say who I voted okay. for. I voted for three different parties in the past. Right. I you know if I wanted to be pro-Tory or 
you know, pro anyone else. I would be pro anyone else. I would say it. I would have done it before now. I've never yeah. voiced a political opinion besides a few tweets on Brexit before this. It just doesn't make any which sense. Which you don't like. Which I don't like. Good. How? Um, I th- but I do. I just want to emphasise that I don't think it's a. Re- I don't think it's relevant who you. You know. No, say. but what some of the sorry, just what some of the Corbynistas say is that this yeah. is a kind of. It's oh. like you and that they're trying to project it as like it's an anti-Corbyn thing because of where you come from in, oh. in your sort of political background. But it's not that. It's not that. No. It's not that in the slightest. No. Did you feel when all of this was happening, kind of terrified that you now had to like know everything about politics? And um, that's why I didn't speak up for, you know, when I was first asked to go on interviews, I, I wanted to get the background. I wanted to get, I wanted to do the learning. I wanted to have the stats and the knowledge to back it up because I didn't, because I could see there was a problem and I didn't want, you know, my not understanding or not knowing a certain aspect of this huge story to be able to be, to have everything poked holes in. Um, because with this, it's, you know, the, I've said before, the odds are in the anti-Semites favour. There's so many of them that can say all kinds of really? lies and rubbish online over and over and over and, and it spreads. But if someone like me with a profile gets something wrong, I'll be ripped to shreds mm, yeah. from every angle. That's what I think people find so scary if you have, if you're someone in the public eye for speaking out on anything, is that people will try and catch you out for getting something wrong, using a wrong term, and yeah. then they'll try and get you cancelled. Yeah, I had to have a word with my myself like literally and say you know what I'm going to get things wrong in this if I'm going to speak out and not everyone's going to agree with my opinions but I feel it's more important to speak out than than to risk you know getting something wrong so I'm just Could you see it leading up. into a political a broader political profile me no yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> I want I mean I want the hell away from this I mean I wish I wish some grown-ups would come in and clear up the mess and you know it's, it's opened my eyes to racism in a in a way that I wasn't aware of before and the way things spread and um, I guess I'm grateful for that and glad I can make a bit of a difference um, but the, this level is unsustainable and mm. it's it's not healthy it's not nice and it, it I don't want it in my country has it affected your mental health this whole sort of process um, yeah I mean I think I don't think it, it it definitely affects you because you you wake up and it's and it's my you know my 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 phone is full of this stuff day in day out, and whether it's from friends having to argue with anti-Semites who are attacking them, or people attacking me, or whatever it is, it's not nice. I mean, and it's and it's sustained, and and people believe some of this rubbish. Um, and I mean, I'm you know I'm 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 aware of mental health, and I do something. Natasha Devon, and as well, I say she's one of my friends. She's brilliant, and. I you know keep myself in check, but I feel like I have to do this, and I know it's not without consequences. Um, and I'm I know I'm <laughs> I'm still here, I'm still sane, I'm still happy, I've still got my life, but I can see it's a problem, and I can't sit by and stay quiet while it's being allowed to happen. So, Rachel, who is your dream six aside team to change the world? So I've got three boys and three girls. Okay. Perfect. Um, and I actually found it um, harder to pick from the women that I had on my list than the men. So from the men, I've got David Attenborough. I mean, we just all love David. You can't not love David Attenborough, can you? Um, and, you know, I'm, I think all the scientists are talking about climate change and all of his programs have, have done just done so much good for the public awareness and actually to make us want to change and to see what's happening. Um, so he's just great one of the list. Um, I've got Barack Obama as well because I just think what he says is just inspirational. Um, and you look back at some of his speeches about 
racism and bringing people together. And even when he's, you know, his priest has come out with something racist and bad, he can find a way to say yeah. that it's bad, call it out, but use it to bring people together and to highlight what's actually happening in a real way that can mm. still, you know, unifies. I just think he's brilliant. Um, and Chris Hadfield as well. Okay. I've got, so he's um, an astronaut. He was the astronaut Canadian um, who played David Bowie in space. Um, and I went to a talk from by him, and he was just so inspirational. I, mean, I love clever people. I love scientists, and he just made you feel like humans can t- like tackle any challenge that's faced us with science, yeah. but also really, really inferior. I'm wondering what on earth you've done with your life because he spoke, he just wanted to be an astronaut. So he became a fighter pilot and he learned oh. Russian and he plays the guitar and he's a scientist and an engineer. And I just think he's brilliant. Um, and then I've got, yeah, loads of women to choose from. Um, so you've got, no, love that. you've got no Manchester United connections. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't actually. Well, I'm, Fergie, I'm me. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be the team oh, leader. Yeah, you're the manager. So, yeah, 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 that's, you know, that's you've right. You've got to have a broad selection yeah. spectrum. Yeah. Um, so on the girls' side, I've got Deborah Meadham. Okay. Um, I've got a few, I picked a few ladies actually that um, I just have been listening to. Like, I think I've seen them use their voice in the last few years. She's very sound on Brexit. Definitely. She's very sound. She's mm. just, she uses evidence and she tries to you know use evidence which i think is that's kind of gotten lost a little bit along the way her twitter's Um, amazing and i i got to know her through um strictly we both did strictly together has she done strictly we did strictly the same year did she run off with a dancer as well (laughs) is that just you robin uh wouldn't be interested in deborah Ah. Um, but uh deborah's a massive animal lover as well she's patron of tusk um like she's she lives on she's got animals all around her i want her life she's great um listen that could change the world because somebody phoned me yesterday and said can you think of anybody who'd be a good woman uh director of a uh, one of the big wildlife charities Mm. think she'd be up for that She's mega into wildlife. Okay. She's, she's right. Are you fantastic. mega into wildlife as well? Yeah, yeah. I, that's what I love for my... I mean, I'm vegan. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, we, we spend, like, whenever I get time off, me and Pasha off on wildlife trips, oh, like wow. Galapagos, oh, Pantanal, we went to India, Sri Lanka, um, Napo oh. Valley. Yeah, we love it. Love, love it, love that. it. Okay, um, next. I've got Nimco Ali. Oh, she's a friend of mine. I'm sure she is. Yeah. After, I just... I've listened to some of her talks and I just think she's a force to be reckoned with. She's, mm. like... A feminist and she just again she's using facts and stats and i think and, and and her experience as well and her own experience mm. to try and help girls and the connection with all most of these people there they use education i think education is the key to yeah. solving all the world's ills um, she truly is uh She'd be one of yours, wouldn't she? She would, without a doubt. She is going, like, you know, with a lot of other people, but when FGM has ended, it will be her that really put in And she's really facing a battle to to try and get that understanding of what's a religious practice and what's a cultural practice and why things can change and why it's not, you know, anti-religion to say these things, but it's just just good. Mm. And you can re-educate and you know work with communities and i think she's brilliant oh, um, love and the last person i've not met but i just think she's um a really amazing voice for what she does and i picked jamila jamil um because i think you know she's someone i guess similar to me she's 
you know, <laughs> known for being a woman on telly and didn't really need to say anything or speak out. But she's using her experiences of of having, you know, eating disorders or um, the way she's portrayed in the media. And she's saying, look, girls, you don't, this is, <laughs> you know, you're being fed all these lies that are making you ill. And when you, you know, she just, she just, the way she speaks, she's talking about, you know, having one diet pill advert put in front of you you click on that and then you're inundated with it and that's not normal that's just what these social media she like calls out the kardashians online big (laughs) time because the kardashians try and sell these weight loss pills and jamila jamil just is so good she's funny yeah she's she's, funny yeah and she does it in such a great way that really touches people and like you've got you haven't just got three men three women you've got a very very good ethnic mix there as well you've got to be done I loved that. Loved it. She was so cool and clever and confident in this mission that she's on. And that's such a cool thing. Well, I don't know if this is wholly appropriate, Grace, but I'm going to say anyway, I love looking into her eyes oh, for God's across sake, the Dad. table. Shut up. Uh, I love the fact that we've got the same Pinarello bike. All right, come on. That about. was a really substantial... Uh, conversation and we I just thought, had I'll, tell you what, I'll tell you what I thought I thought it was really interesting she's obviously thought put the anti-Semitism thing to one side but she's obviously thought a lot about the whole feminism thing too which is probably why you liked her as much as you did for sure thank you very very much for listening please rate, review and subscribe to this podcast this podcast is a pink protest production And if you're wondering where the fantastic music comes from, it's by my favourite Scottish band, Skipinish. The wait is finally over and sport is back on Now TV. It's lights out and away we go! Where you can watch Sky Sports, Premier Sports and BT Sport together and all without a contract. What a fantastic part. So whether there's a day, week or whole month of action you just can't miss, you can now stream the lot. Oh, it's a fabulous goal! This is your sport on your terms. Search Now TV Sports to find out more. 18 plus content streamed via internet. Full terms apply. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.